Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, and we'll read there beginning with verse 1. Revelation, chapter 1. Um, I wanted to mention that today is also our, the start of our building fund, giving to the building fund. And really, I only ask uh, two things of you as we consider the next building and the remodeling that we want to do. Um, first, we ask you to give your tithe to the church budget. That's how we do the ministry and the mission of our church, and that's where we believe that should go. We want to do the ministries God has for us well. But pray about, that's the second thing I ask of you, pray about what God wants you to do if he would have you give above and beyond to the building program and to the building fund. And you can do that online. You can do the recurring giving just like through the app or through the website, just like you do all the other, any other giving. But we're just, uh, no, no pressure, but just prayer. Ask God what he wants you to do. And God will give you direction about that. And God will use you and God will make a difference in you through and through you. Well, let's open our Bibles to Revelation 1, and we're going to be in this book of the Bible for a while. Well, actually, I'll take a break during Christmas and do Christmas messages during December. And I'll, uh, in February, we're going to do a church-wide study, our life groups and our worship services. Uh, you'll hear more about that right after the first of the year. But over time, we'll go all the way through this whole book of the Bible, and it's a great book of the Bible. And I want to start with Revelation chapter 1. Let's read those first three verses together. Are you ready? The Bible says, the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. So let's talk this morning on what soon, what must soon take place, as the Bible says, what must soon take take place. So I was in Israel uh, the last couple of Sundays. We had, man, just, uh, I always love going on these trips, but I love coming back to FBCO. And one of the places I love, I love all of Israel, but one of the places I love to go to is the top of what's called Mount Carmel, or Mount Carmel. And on the top of that mountain, it's just a great view from there. That's where Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal. I mean, some great things that happened right there. But you look out over a vast valley. It's, high, it's a mountain. And so you can see for a long way this vast valley called the Valley of Megiddo. It's huge. And you can see the various parts there. In fact, it's one of the places in the world where you can see what happened in the past. And archaeology is always going on in Israel and every Every time I'm back, I find there's something that's new, something that's been discovered, archaeological evidence. Archaeology has been a great friend of the Bible, and it's going on all the time. You can know a lot of what took place there in that valley in the days gone by. And you can see what's going on right now. You can see the valley. You can see, in fact, the Israeli Defense Force has an air base right there in that valley, a long way off from the mountain, but you can see it, and the, you sure hear the... Um, jets as they, the fighter jets as they roar past. Uh, it's a fascinating place to see that, so you can know what's happening, some of what's happening in the present tense. A lot of agriculture going on there too. But it's also one of the places in the world where you know exactly what's going to happen in the future. Because the Bible describes this great battle at the end of time called the Battle of Armageddon, and it's from this valley of Megiddo. And so you can know what happened in the past and what's happening in the present and what's going to happen in the future. And God in heaven gives you his word so that you can know what happened in the past, 
can't change, you can't change one thing about your past, but you can sure learn from it. And you can learn from the mistakes of others and those who have gone before you. And you can know something about how you can live in the present. And there's something about present tense. That's where the living takes place in present tense. And then God wants us to know what's going to happen in the future. Because that affects how we live right now. And if you'll better understand what happened in the past. And you'll look forward to better understanding what God's doing and going to do in the future. You'll live a better life in your present. God will use that in your present to make you more of what he wants you to be in this brief moment that we call a lifetime. So let's note three principles together. Would you just jot these three things down the back of your worship guide or in your, on the church app, wherever you were doing it, these three principles that really help us to understand what the book of Revelation is teaching us, what God wants us to know. And there's three things I'd like you to note with me. Number one, God wants you to see his plan. God wants you to see his plan. And he talks to us about his plan because he wants us to see it. He wants us to know it. He wants us to recognize that he is working around us. And so in verse 1, the Bible says, The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And so I want us to look at that first half of that verse 1 and really go through it. So keep your Bibles open. And let's note what the Bible is saying here about God and his plan. First note that it tells us God reveals the future. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him. The revelation. The word revelation, the Greek word for that is a word called apocalypsis. And we know it. We, we use that word, something like it, in modern English. For us, typically the word apocalypse is about something terrible that's going to happen. And of course, there are events in the future that will be terrible and and uh, would fit that definition. But the definition of apocalypse is different than that. The revelation or the word apocalypse means something slightly different. It's this. It means something that was hidden, that was hidden, but now unveiled. Something that was hidden, but now unveiled. And the Bible says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. It's the unveiling of what was hidden. Now, Christmas is coming, and whether you realize it or not, it'll just be here in a moment. That's how it feels in my world, and my wife has already started shopping a little bit, I think, and she'll, she'll shop for the grandkids especially. We have 13 grandchildren, so she'll do the shopping, and thank heavens, it's my wife who does the shopping and not me that does the primary shopping, and Vicky's really good at gift giving. She's just thoughtful about things, and she'll get things for each of those grandchildren that they like, things they care about, and uh, so, the, so Vicky will buy something for them, and she'll wrap it up, and it'll be veiled. And the grandkids don't know what it is. And they're excited about knowing what it is. They'll shake it, you know. They'll, they'll try to guess what it is and imagine what it is, and a lot of anticipation for it. But then the day will come when they tear open that package, and what is hidden will be unveiled. And they'll find out what uh, their grandparents got for them. I'll find out sometimes in some cases what I got for them that same day, perhaps. Vicki usually tells me, but sometimes I sort of miss that. Well, the Bible says God is going to unveil to us the future. He wants us to know more of what he's doing. He wants us to see that he's working, that he's working, that he's worked in the past tense, that he's working in the present tense, and that he has plans for the future. So God reveals to us the future. And secondly, God reveals through Jesus if we want to see his plan, it's shown to us through Jesus. The Bible calls it the revelation 
of Jesus Christ that God gave him. That is, we can know the Father through Jesus. Jesus said these words. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he is the revelation of the Father. How we can know more about God, we'll see a great deal of the revelation of Jesus throughout the book of Revelation itself. We'll see more of who Jesus is. We'll understand more of the nature of God. We'll see what Jesus has done. Maybe you've seen Jesus as, um, like you've seen him as the baby in the manger. And he did come as a baby in a manger into this world. But that's not the totality of who Jesus is. Or maybe you know that Jesus was a great teacher. And he was a great teacher. But there's more to the story than that. Or maybe you know that Jesus went to a cross to die for our sins. That the one who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He took my sin and your sin upon the cross and died there. But the story doesn't end there. And perhaps you know that Jesus rose from the, from the dead, that he was greater than death and greater than sin, and that he conquered that power. But in the book of Revelation, we're going to see him as the triumphant Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We'll see that this baby born, this man who lived, the, the one who would go to the cross, the one who rose from the grave, is reigning today as King of kings and Lord of lords. We will see more of who God is and what God is doing and the very nature of God himself. And so we see, we know the Father through Jesus, but we also know something of the Father's plan through Jesus and Jesus shows us in this book of the Bible more of his plan. We'll see Jesus often quoted here and often speaking to us about what God is doing and about the Father's plans. God, the Bible tells us here, wants you to know his plans. Verse 1 says, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants. Well, that's, that's people like us. God wants us to know his plans. God wants you to know that he is working in this world. He wants you to know what he's done in the past, but he also wants you to know what he's going to do. Because God knows that if you will understand what he has done in the past, and you'll understand more of God's purpose for the future, that you will be more likely to live the kind of life he wants you to live right now. God will use the past, what he's done in the past, and what he's going to do in the future to remind you that in this brief moment of life, he's got a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. And he wants you to know that. And so he's going to show his servants what must soon take place? That is, God shows his, pers his perspective. What must soon take place? That sounds odd to us because this was written long ago. What must soon take place? In the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says this. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That is, the, the Bible is saying God is, from God's perspective, his perspective is different than ours. You know, have you noticed as you've gotten older, your perspective begins to change about how long a week is or a month is or a year is, about how long a week is or a month is or a year is. Suddenly it just changes perspective the older you get to a child, a Man, a week seems like an eternity. A year sounds like an eternity. But as you get older, it changes your perspective. And God's perspective is different than ours. The eternal one looks at the world differently than we look at it. And so he's saying to us, I want you to see from the eternal perspective how imminent this is. 
what must soon take place, what is going to happen. And so he reveals to us, he gives us this apocalypsis, this revealing, the hidden that is now unveiled. In 1972, when I was just a tender lad, a guy named Johnny Nash wrote a song. Did you know there are, Justin, Justin Bieber's not the only artist, musical artist. I would just want this little group to know. He's not the only musical artist in the world. And some of you I know, my son is here, a big believer. He's a believer, you know, a big believer fan. And there are other artists in that. In 1972, this guy, uh, this artist, he's going to love that I said that. In 1972, Johnny Nash wrote this song that was re- as a remix of it in 1993 by Jimmy Cliff. It's called I Can See Clearly Now. And while I'm not going to sing it to you, I'll just read some of the lyrics. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. Some of you are older than I thought you were. I did not know you were. Yeah, it's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. The obstacles are gone. The dark clouds that had me blind. And God is saying in his word, I want you to see the truth. I want you to open your eyes. I want you to remove the veil and know that that I've been working in the past and that I'm going to work in the future because it'll make a difference in how you live in the present tense. And God wants you to see his plan. There's a second principle I want you to note. Would you write this down? God wants you to understand himself. God wants you to understand himself. Now, he wants you to know his plan, but God wants you to know him. He wants you to know his plan, of course, but he wants you to know him. He wants you to know who he is. And this book of Revelation helps us to see more of who God is, of his nature, of his purpose, of his working. We see more of the greatness of God, the glory of God, that we praise him because he is praiseworthy, that, we, that he is sovereign and powerful and great and mighty. And so God wants us to understand himself. And one of the reasons we have this book of the Bible is to understand him more. Notice how the how the Bible says at the end of verse 1 and end of verse 2. The Bible says, He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John, who testified to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. So let's note four things here. First, let's note there's a messenger. He made it known by sending His angel. By sending His angel. So God sent an angel to John in this revealing process. Now, angels can be misunderstood, I think. As I read the Bible, I don't don't see the description that we so often think of in angels. Often, we think of angels as like chubby-faced little babies. Chubby-faced little babies. And somehow that got into popular art long ago, and it just became a part of how people saw angels, like little babies, chubby cheeks, and wings and maybe a harp or something. That's just how we began to see them. And yet the Bible describes angels differently. They're far more likely to be described as warriors. The first thing an angel typically says in the Bible when, they, when someone encounters an angel is, the angel typically says first, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It suggests that it's not a little 
chubby-cheeked baby, right? That's not the first. Their first response to seeing a chubby-cheeked baby is not fear, right? It's a, but when you see this warrior, the one who's been in God's presence, the Shekinah glory of the Lord shining from them, the power and strength and might of them, well, then they need to say to us first, don't be afraid, fear not. They're often tasked with sending a message. And they serve the Lord by sending messages. Often happened in the pages of the Bible that we see them sending a message as we see in this book of Revelation. And so the Bible says there's a messenger. We see something of the greatness of God, the glory of God, the supernatural work of God in the angel. And then there is a servant. Verse 2 says he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now this is John the apostle. The one, the apostle, loved by Jesus, close to Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He spent time with Jesus. But can I remind you, he was imperfect. He was imperfect. At the cross, all, um, before the cross, all fled. All had fears and all had doubts and worries. And John was an imperfect man. If you thought, mistakenly, you know, churches are filled with just, uh, those guys must be perfect people. You'll be so disillusioned. If you think the churches are going to be perfect people, you will be so disillusioned. God did not call us to the church because he somehow thought the church is filled with perfect people. He knew that there were only imperfect people. It's the only kind of people God has imperfect people like us. He didn't put us together because we're perfect. He knows well our imperfections. The imperfectness of John or Peter or Paul or you or me or all who sit around you. Imperfect people. But we have a perfect Savior. And so if you build your church life around the illusion that somehow that life group teacher or those people are perfect, you'll be disappointed at somewhere along the way. Now we want to follow the Lord well We want to grow in holiness and commitment. We want to do the right things and be the kind of people God wants us to be, of course. But we recognize that Jesus is the perfect one. He is the one who formed the church. He is the cornerstone and not us. And we recognize that God uses imperfect people like us in his purposes. And so he used a person like John, imperfect though John was. Do you remember the time when John was uh, wanting to have a position of power in the kingdom and instead of really understanding the idea of service. But not only was John imperfect, John is empowered. God, the Holy Spirit, came to live in the life of this man, John, as he does to every single person who trusts Christ as Savior. God, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who lived in John, the same Holy Spirit who lived in Paul, the same Holy Spirit who's working in the pages of the Bible is the same Holy Spirit who lives in you when you give your life to Christ. And he can empower you for service, imperfect though you are with all the baggage of your past, all the pain that you brought to this place, all the the difficulty in seeing the truth, all all the checkered difficulties of your background. God empowers imperfect people who trust him and who follow him. And so the Bible tells us about this servant, John. John's life was about something bigger than himself. Somehow John came to believe that life was not just about him or what he wanted, or what he got, or what he had. But he saw he was a part of something far bigger. 
He saw that he was a part of something eternal, a part of the work of the kingdom of God. And John saw that he, was a, he had the great privilege of not only being a child of God, but to be a servant in the work that God was doing in this world. And there is not only a messenger and a servant, but a testimony. Verse 2 says, he testified, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. He testified to the word of God. God gives us his word. What a privilege this is. You don't have to take my word for it. You can go to God's word. You can see what God has to say. The word of God is a testimony about who God is and what God does. God reveals himself to us. God shows us his working, what he has done in the past so that we can learn from it. What, what he's going to do, the book of Revelation is filled with what God is going to do so that we can understand his testimony, understand his purpose. There's a power to the word of God. I want you to learn and know the word of God. I, I talked uh, several weeks ago now to one of my old seminary professors. He's in his 80s now. I guess we can call him old. And Dr. McDowell was just a, a favorite of mine, really a good mentor in my life. And so Dr. McDowell, um, he's just he's physically, he's slowed down a lot, but his mind is just incredible. He's one of those guys who never forgets anything. He just got a brilliant mind. And in his 80s, he's, he's editing a book that he wrote some time ago. He's re-editing it to release again a book. And uh, so he was talking to me about it. And, and uh, as a professor is prone to do, he started seeing it as an opportunity to quiz me to test me. So he said, um, Doug, he said, what is the Greek word for it is finished? Now, thankfully, I happen to remember that Greek word. I don't remember every Greek word, I can assure you, but I remember that that word, it is finished. Jesus on the cross, as he's dying for the sins of humanity, said, it is finished. It's one Greek word, the word tetelestai. And so thankfully, I said to Dr. McDowell, it's uh, the word, it's tetelestai. And he said, that's right. I got an A. I got an A on that little test. And he said, Doug, so what does tetelestai mean? And I thought, is this a trick question? I said, uh, it means it is finished. He said, yes, Doug, but what does it mean? And I said, uh, I don't know. You, you tell me. And uh, he started going into the etymology of the word and all the details of it, and uh, I got an F on that particular question, and so I felt like I had a C average going through it. He just, you know, it asked various questions, and he was so excited about talking about Aaron and her in the Old Testament and how they relate. He just, because he's editing this book, he was just really deeply in the Word of God, and I thought to myself, there is a guy who has cared deeply about the Word of God for a long time, a long time. He's cared deeply about the Word of God. And over time, he's read it and studied it and thought about it and prayed and sought the face of God over and over. He's gone to the Word. Now listen, maybe you said, I, you know, I don't know the Word of God that well. I'm, getting, you know, I'm kind of a C average on the Bible. But a year from now, couldn't you know it better than you do now? And couldn't you understand more of God's purposes and plans for you? Didn't God give us the Word so that we would have a testimony of who He is? Doesn't God in heaven want you to know more about what He did in the past and for that matter, what he's going to do in the future, so that you will live in the present more effectively. So God gives us a testimony, the word of God. And notice, not just the word of God, it's the person of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus Christ, verse 2 says. God wants you to see him. He wants you to see who Jesus is. To see what God has done. 
Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. To see the Father through the person of Jesus Christ. This is the great testimony that God gives to us. And then there's a witness. Verse 2 says, he testified to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Whatever he saw, he's an eyewitness. And John said, this isn't just some theory to me. This isn't just some, like, you know, theoretical exercise. But I saw, I saw Jesus live. I listened as he taught. I saw him go to the cross. I saw with my own eyes Jesus alive. And now a testimony, an eyewitness testimony of what God is going to do in the future. And God is giving that to us because God is always personal. Can I just remind you of this? God wants you to be his child, to be his child. Can I tell you, God does not have any grandchildren. Just children. One of my grandfathers died when I was so young, I could hardly remember him. I, I look forward to seeing him in heaven one day. He came to Christ in dramatic circumstances as a middle-aged man, but I, I didn't know him here. I just know about my grandfather. But the Lord said, I want you to be my, my child. Not just to know, not just your parents, God. Not just your parents, your grandparents, God. But yours. He wants a personal relationship with you. He wants you to be his child. He wants you to be his witness. So he gives you a testimony. He wants you to be a servant. He wants you to see the, the message of truth. God wants you to understand himself. Now, there's a, a third principle God wants you to know. God wants you to follow his direction. God wants you to follow his direction. So go with me, please, to verse 3. I'm going to ask you a question. I, I, Dr. McDowell, quiz me. Let me just give you a test, all right? Ready? Ready for a test? Do you want to be blessed? Does it sound like a trick question to you? Do you want to be blessed? Yeah. Right? Don't you? Am I wrong about that? Do you want to be blessed? I mean, would you agree with that? You want to be blessed? When you pray, isn't that one of the common prayers we pray? God, would you bless me? Of course. We're not praying for God to curse us, to make life worse for us. We're praying for God's blessing. Do you want God to bless you? Yes. Notice what verse 3 says. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. Blessed. If we want a blessing, we want to know what God says. We want to know what God is doing. So let's note three things about these blessings. First, we note, note we're blessed by knowing. Verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy. And there's something about reading the Bible out loud, and maybe if you ever, if your mind wanders when you're reading in your devotional life, perhaps you'd just uh, read aloud. It's something about that that helps you to hear it, remember it, follow it more fully, I think. Hear God's Word. Listen to God's Word. Read God's Word. Know God's Word. We're blessed by knowing. God wants you to learn. God wants you to know the truth. Did you know that? God wants you to learn. God wants you to know the truth. We want to do that, do all we can to help you. In our worship services, we're going to open the Bible together. Have you noticed that? We're going to sing about the Lord and to the Lord. We're going, to, we're going to learn about the things of God in our singing, in our actions, in our worship service, in our life groups. We're going to study the Bible. We're going to try to find out more of what God has to say. Maybe you just sit there quietly in the background. Or maybe you just on occasion ask a question or try to understand more fully. Or participate. 
And can I say, in your, in your personal devotions, you can read the Bible. And I've, I've had uh, so much joy recently in, in hearing people. I've talked a lot about reading the Bible for yourself recently. And I've seen a lot of joy in people who have been really started. Sometimes they've been believers for a long time, but they started reading the Bible for themselves. So if you want to read the New Testament, this is how simple it is. You can do it for yourself. If you'll read two chapters a day, five days a week, you'll read the entire New Testament in half a year. In half a year. Just two chapters a day, just five days a week. Half a year. That's how doable it is. And I want you to read through the New Testament many times. And then the whole Bible itself. And I want you to get to know what the Bible has to say. I want you to read it for yourself. Not just to take my word for it, though I want to be faithful to God's word. But I want you to know it and learn it. Because the Bible says we are blessed by knowing. We're blessed by knowing. But there's a second part to the blessing. We're blessed by doing. We're blessed by doing. So the Bible says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy. And keep what is written in it. And keep what is written in it. That is, God wants you to know, yes. But God wants you to do. We want to know the truth because it's the foundation. Our society, man, you can, our society doesn't know what truth is. They don't know what the foundation is. They're changing all the time what they think is true. What 10, 10 years ago, things have changed. 10 years from now, it'll change again. What does God have to say? That's a foundation upon which you can build. God wants you to know the truth because the truth is what sets you free. So God shows you the truth and teaches you the truth. But notice, it's not just about knowing, it's about doing it. The Bible says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. It's not just the goal of, of the Christian life. It's not just to know God's word, but to know it so that you obey it and do it. Let's imagine you're going to study about exercise. And you just study away. You get books on exercise, all kinds of books on it. You watch videos. There's a, there are a million videos on exercise. You can just watch all kinds of... You can watch videos all day long about exercise. You can learn everything. Study kinesiology. I'm not even sure what kinesiology is, but it sounds, you know, impressive. And maybe I don't. Great. Learn all about it. Are you in shape by doing that? Well, no. I mean, it's a good start, right, to know. You can know how to maximize exercise and the benefits. But if you're going to get in shape, you're going to have to know it, and then you're going to have to put it into practice. And God in heaven says, I want you to know my word, know the truth, it's a solid foundation upon which to build. You're not going to hear it from the culture. You're not going to hear it from, in our case, popular television or movies or music very often. But I want you to know the truth. But don't stop there. Put it into practice. And as we go through the book of Revelation, there'll be times when God is just going to say, I want you to check that attitude. I want you to change that action. I want you to correct that behavior. And God does it because he loves us and cares about us and wants what's best for us. And the more we understand of what God has done in the past and what he's going to do in the future, the more we're going to want to obey him in this brief little moment of time God gives to us. And then number three, I said we're blessed by knowing and by doing, but we're blessed by readiness, by readiness. The Bible says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep it what is written in it, because the time is near. There will be a rapture of the church. Jesus said in Luke 17, two will be in bed, and one will be taken, and the other left. Can you imagine that? 
Two will be grinding grain, Jesus said. And one will be taken. And one will be left. And the Lord tells us this because he wants us to be ready. Because when he comes, it's too late. And the Lord is reminding us to be ready. And we ought to live in a sense of readiness right now. The time is near. There ought to be in our lives a sense of readiness and preparedness to know that one day we'll stand before the Lord, whether through the end of our own life here and death or to meet him in the air. But soon we will stand before him to give account of our life. And the opportunities we have are just this moment. I don't know what the future holds for my life. I just know the Lord holds it. And so I want to live my life now knowing that the God who worked in the past is the God who's going to work in the future and the God who's working in the present right now. And God wants you to be ready. Some of you, have ne- you're not ready for the return of the Lord. You've never yet trusted Christ as Savior. And I'm going to ask you today to repent of your sins and place your trust in Jesus who died for you and who rose from the dead for you and receive him, him as Savior. And in a moment when you pray, maybe you give your life to Christ today. Maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your need for the Lord. Christian, would you live ready? This brief moment that God gives you in life, don't waste, don't waste this day. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Live your life this day. Use this day well for the glory of God. Knowing what he's done in the past and what he's going to do in the future, live in the present tense for him. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And as we pray, I want to lead you in a couple of areas. If you need to trust Christ to save you today, if you'd say, I, I'm, I, I know that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. Would you just acknowledge that to God? God, I've sinned against you. You are holy, and I'm not. And I could never reach you in your holiness, knowing that I'm imperfect. I could never reach you by my own merit. But I believe you did something for me. You sent your son Jesus to live the life I couldn't live, that perfect life. To die the death on the cross I deserved. Jesus took my place to rise from the grave. And so this day, I want to repent of my sin and place my trust in Jesus and ask him to save me. And if you mean that, he will just today in the earlier service. An adult lady gave her life to Christ. Maybe that's you today. God is calling you to give your life to Christ. Would you trust him as Savior? The one who's lived for you and died for you. The one who's coming back for you. The one who's planned the future. Would you live right now? Would you give your life to Christ? Christian, those of you who know Christ as Savior, would you say, God, I don't know. I don't want to waste the opportunity of today. You teach me in your word what you did so that I can learn from it. And you're telling me in the book of Revelation what you're going to do so that I can learn from it. So help me to live today a life that counts with eternity in mind for big things, for things that last and count and matter. And Father, I want to thank you so much for your word, for the truth you teach us, for the love you show us, for the opportunities you give us. And so, Lord, do a work in our lives as we go through this great book of the Bible. Would you help us to live a life that honors you, that counts for you, that makes a difference for you in this life of time and space, knowing that one day soon we'll stand before you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.